everyone. Welcome to the Aliyah Day. Glad to be with you this morning. It is a joy to have everybody in the house. It is prep day, the day as we are getting ready for Hashem's Holy Shabbat, where we get to, um, get to celebrate God as creator of the world, the one true God, master of creation. I am Rabbi Mordecai Griffin. I am the rabbi of Sar Shalom Synagogue here, the uh, flagship, dynamic synagogue here in North Texas, in the Fort Worth area, the city of Saginaw, just north of Fort Worth. We are a beautiful synagogue, literally. We have a beautiful new uh, parking lot, which I'm extremely excited about. I never thought I would be so excited about a parking lot in all of my days, but I am. I am also the founder of Lapid Judaism, which is... A orthodox, authentic, real deal, truly, bluely synagogue, or excuse me, the Judaism, that believes that Messiah Yeshua is the Mashiach. We proclaim that openly, boldly, proudly, enthusiastically. We back it up with uh, copious amounts of sources. And uh, it's just a great joy. It's exciting. People watch this program from all over the Fruited Plain and from across the world. And there's many of you who are joining. Um, I had to uh, kind of stop greeting people because it, it, it was taking like an hour to greet everybody. So welcome. Glad you're here. It's exciting to be with you. I just want to give a plug that um, <clears throat> if you live in the Tulsa, Oklahoma area, then we want you to uh, join our synagogue. Yes, we have a real live, actual synagogue in Tulsa. It's Sar Shalom Tulsa. The, uh, the beautiful family there, the Bowers, beautiful family, the Barrios. They're beautiful people. And uh, you need to go there and be a part of everything that's happening. Our daughter Rachel is there in uh, Tulsa. And uh, Shoshana Teeman and... And uh, all kinds of uh, beautiful souls. So if you live in and around the Tulsa area, if you live within 100 miles of Tulsa, then you can attend there. Outside of 100 miles, you probably need to go live stream. But, but inside 100 miles, you can attend there. Now, if you live in the Kansas City area, we have a beautiful uh, family, the Towns family, that live uh, there in Kansas City and have a Lapide House. Beautiful family. And you need to be a part of that. If you live in the Houston area, we have a Lapide House in Houston. I'm talking about real live human beings. And uh, lower Hudson Valley, New York. Or as we say in the Sephardic world, Nueva York. We have a Lapid house there as well. So lots of uh, great things going on. We want you to be a part of everything that we have. Now, naturally, if you live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area or within 100 miles, then we invite you to come to Sar Shalom Synagogue and be a part of that. Now, if you live... Not in these areas, but in other parts of the uh, beautiful country and or world. And what we invite you to join with us vis-a-vis live stream. And many people do that on Shabbat. Uh, they join virtually with us. And it's a great joy to have everybody, um, everybody together. So Baruch Hashem. We are in Parasha Vayeshev. And uh, we're going to use the art school Chumash. And uh, we're on page 215. 
and finding ourselves reading this morning in verse 7, Pasuk Siete. Uh, we like to combine languages here to get the international feel. So um, let's start reading because this is the sixth and seventh uh, reading. And then we will uh, get right to our insights because there's a lot to share. I have, uh, I think, a couple of exciting points at least that I want to uh, bring you in on. So here it is. Capitulo uh, Siete. After these things, his master's wife cast her eyes upon Yosef, and she said, Lie with me. But he adamantly refused. He said to his master's wife, Look, with me here my master concerns himself about nothing in the house, and whatever he has he, uh, he has he, he placed in my custody has prospered, right? It's talking about the prosperity. There is no one greater in this house than I. And he has denied me nothing but you, since you are his wife. How then can I perpetrate this great evil and have sinned against God? And so it was, just as she coaxed Yosef day after day, so he would not listen to her to lie beside her to be with her. Then there was an opportune day when he entered the house to do his work, and no man of the household staff being there in the house. By the way, Pamela, watching from the United Kingdom, welcome. So glad you're here this morning. Verse 12, that she caught hold of him by his garment and said, Lie with me, but he left his garment in her hand, and he fled and went outside. Verse 13, when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, she called out to the men of her household and spoke to them, saying, Look, he brought us a Hebrew man to sport with us. He came to lie with me, but I called out with a loud scream. And when he heard that I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me, fled and went outside. She kept his garment beside her until his master came home. Then she told him a similar account, saying, The Hebrew slave who you brought... To us came to me to sport with me, but it happened that when I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and ran outside. And it was when his master heard his wife's words, which she spoke to him, saying, Your slave did things like this to me. His anger flared up. Then Joseph's master took him and placed him in the prison, the place where the king's prisoner were confined, and he remained there in prison. Adonai was with Yosef, and he endowed him with a charisma, and he put his favor in the eye, uh, put his favor in the eyes of the prison warden. <clears throat> the prison warden placed all inmates of the prison in Yosef's custody, and everything that was done there, he would accomplish. The prison warden did not scrutinize anything that was in the charge, inasmuch as Adonai was with him, and whatever he did, Adonai made him successful. Now we transition to the 40th chapter, chapter 40, verse 1, and it happened after these things that the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and the baker transgressed against their master, against the king of Egypt, that's the king of Mitzrayim, and Pharaoh was enraged at his two courtiers, the chamberlain of the cupbearer and the chamberlain of the bakers, and he placed them in the ward of the house of the chamberlain of the butchers into the prison, the place where Yosef was confined. 
The chamberlain and the butchers appoint, appointed Yosef to be with them. And he attended them and they remained in the ward for a period of days. The two of them dreamt the dream. Each of one had his dream on the same night. Each one according to the interpretation of his dream. The cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt who were confined in the prison. Yosef came to them in the morning and he saw them and behold they were aggrieved. And he asked Pharaoh's courtiers, who were with him in the ward of his master's house, saying, Why do you appear downcast today? And they said to him, We dreamt a dream, but there's no interpreter for it. So Yosef said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Relate it to me, if you please. Then the, cha the chamberlain and the cupbearers recounted his dream to Yosef and said to him, In my dream, behold, there was a great a grapevine in front of me. On the grapevine were three tendrils, and it was though it budded. Its blossoms bloomed, and its clusters ripened in the grapes, and Pharaoh's cup was in his hand, and I took the grapes, presented them to the Pharaoh's cup, and I placed the cup in Pharaoh's palm. Yosef said to him, this is the interpretation. The three tendrils are three days, and another three days, Pharaoh will lift your head, and you will restore you to your post. And you will place Pharaoh's cup in his hand, and he was the former practice when you were his cupbearer. If only you would think of me with yourself when he benefits you, and you will do to me kindness if he pleased, and mention me to Pharaoh, when then you would get me out of this building. I want to go home. Get me out. Listen, when you go back, remember me. Don't forget. It says, for indeed, you know, um, Yosef uh, was going to send him a text message so he wouldn't forget, but he didn't have any service in the prison. It says, For indeed I was kidnapped uh, from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing for them to have me put in this dungeon. The chamberlain and the baker saw that he interpreted well, so he said to Yosef, I too, in my dream, behold, three wicker baskets were on my head, and the uppermost basket were all kinds of Pharaoh's foods, baker's handiwork. And the birds were eating them from the basket above my head. Yosef responded and said, this is his interpretation. The three baskets of three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift your head from you and hang you on a tree. Birds will eat your flesh from you. That was not a, a positive response. The baker wanted his money back, but uh, it's too late. It's um, no return offer. Verse 20, and it was on the third day. Pharaoh's birthday that he made a feast for all his servants and he counted the chamberlain of the cupbearers and the chamberlain of the bakers among his servants and he restored the chamberlain of the cupbearers to his cupbearing and he placed the cup of Pharaoh's palm but he hanged the chamberlain of the bakers just as Joseph had interpreted the dreams. Yet the chamberlain of the cupbearers did not remember Joseph but he forgot him. Joseph uh, suffering some more he's he's tried to do a good deed here and help some some endured while in egypt joseph endured a number of humiliating experiences it says when he first arrived he was sold as a slave deprived of his former identity and comfort so i read this and i immediately thought that one of the principal things i've seen this happen because i've been I've been in a leadership role spiritually, well, 
other ways as well, but talking here spiritually. Counseling people, shepherding people for a um, couple of decades. In fact, um, going on uh, 22 or 24 years, I've, I've lost count, but um been doing this a while. And I see how the enemy works in people's lives. And it's interesting to me that um, uh, we have here an insight where it says, while in Egypt, Yosef endured a number of humiliating experiences. And it's saying here that when he first arrived, okay, he, was, he first got to Egypt, when he was first brought down to this lowly place, what did the enemy do first to make sure and to ins- to make sure that the enslavement took effect? What was the first thing? I want you to think about this. What was the first thing that that the Satan did to Joseph to make sure that his enslavement took effect? And that is that he robbed him of his identity. He, he removed, he took, it says here, he was sold as a slave and deprived of his former identity. What's the former identity? The former identity is that of a Jew. The former identity is that of a, of, of a righteous, Torah, true, Torah observant Jew. And what does the Satan try to do to believers today who are trying to walk the walk of Torah, true Judaism? He constantly attacks their identity. You're a fake. You're a fraud. You're not the real deal. All of this is just make-believe. Why are you doing this? Blah, 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 blah. Why? Because if the enemy can steal your identity, then he can shackle you with slavery. That's why it's so important to not allow the enemy to steal your identity. Don't allow the enemy to steal that which God has given you. Now, I also want to say, just as an aside to that, really unrelated to what I just said, but nevertheless important, I just want to point out that you, that I say you euphemistically, you cannot defeat an enemy who will not quit. The United States learned this during the Vietnam War. We, the most powerful military force on the face of the planet, still are today, thank God. No military can stand up to the United States. I'm just saying. I don't mean, I say that proudly. Uh, I'll say that arrogantly. I'm just, it is what it is, okay? Um, and yet, this little tiny country, Vietnam, beat us. Why? Because they wouldn't quit. Because no matter what we did, no matter how many bullets we fired, no matter how many bombs we dropped, no how many ships we flooded into the harbor, they just would not quit. The only, there's only one way the enemy can defeat you. And this is what Yosef learned in Egypt as well. There's only one way that the enemy can defeat you, and that is to make you quit. <laughs> that is ultimately what a fight is all about, right? You say, well, I, I, I'm going to fight until the death. Well, either way, you're fighting until the person quits. In this case, they quit because they're dead. But most fights end because one party quits. 
like like a boxing match, right? You knock somebody out, they quit because they're knocked unconscious. So I'm just saying that you can't defeat somebody who won't quit. Now, also in this story, we learn something else very interesting. So just to recap what I just said, don't let the enemy steal your identity and don't, don't let him make you quit. If you follow those two principles alone, forget everything else, just those two things, you'll have success in your life. I guarantee. So it says, he asked Pharaoh's courtiers, why are you so downcast? Now, this is very interesting because the sages, uh, or the, excuse me, the Kehot uh, Humash points out that um, of everything going on in Yosef's life, he's got a lot of negativity. He's got a lot of things he could be angry about. He could be curled up in a corner uh, in a fetal position, sucking his thumb and, and hating God and hating the world. And who, frankly, could blame him? Nevertheless, Yosef sets the example to us that he's been betrayed by his brothers. He's been sold on the open slave market five times. He got to Egypt and he was stripped of his identity. He was put into a house as a slave. He was, you know falsely accused of a crime he did not commit. He was trying to do the right thing and ended up getting blamed. And instead of being rewarded for doing the right thing, he was cast into the lowest part of the prison. You can imagine for most people at this point, they would have quit long ago. But Yosef was like, well, something good is coming of this. Why? Because he said, I have a dream. I have a dream. One day they'll bow. One day every knee will bend. Every tongue will confess. One day I have a dream. You got to follow your dreams. Don't let the enemy steal your dreams. You say, well, I, I dreamt and it hasn't come to pass. Look how many years is going on in Yosef's life. His dreams haven't come to pass, but he's still going. But something greater than that is about to happen. Because even is not only is he not curled up in a fetal position, sucking his thumb and crying, He's doing his job, and he notices that there's two guys, and they're downcast. Now, that's remarkable, because Yosef was not focused on himself. Yosef was not focused on himself. Dominico uh, said Yosef was sent and not sold. Actually, he was sent by God, by God, but he was absolutely sold. We can't take that away. Um, so it says here, as a result of this one seemingly minor good deed. So Yosef is running around the, the, the prison. He's not sucking his thumb in a corner crying. Woe is me, woe is me. Why is this, why all these bad things happen to me? In fact, he's so not doing that. He happens to notice in others that they have a problem. And instead of being focused on himself, he chooses to focus on helping others. That, my friends, is a third key to success in your life. That if your focus is on helping others, that is your antidote to becoming self-centered and defeated. When we get, you know that depression is generally 
rooted in self-centeredness. I mean, ultimately. Because we're so focused on our own situation. And, and the reality is, is all of us have bad situations. And guess what? Every one of our situations, no matter how bad they are, can be one-upped by somebody else. I want you to remember that. That no matter how bad your situation is, <clears throat> you say, Rabbi, I have a really, really, really bad situation. I totally get it. And somebody can one-up you. There's somebody out there that has even a, bad, a worse situation. Right? So it says here that as a result of this one seemingly minor good deed, Joseph became the viceroy of Egypt and was able to save the civilized world from famine. Now think about that. Because Joseph was not sucking his thumb, curled up in a fetal position, focusing on his self and his problems, because of that, he was walking around just putting one step, one foot in front of the other. Wake up today and carry on best he could. Trusting God in the midst of, uh, well, if you'll forgive the expression, hell. And because of that one thing, he looked around and he said, look, there's somebody with a sad face. Are you kidding me? You're in prison. Nobody would blame Yosef for looking over there and seeing the guy with a sad face and say, join the club. But instead, Yosef said, hey, why are you so sad? What can I do to make you happy or to help you? Are you? That's incredible. And all he did was say, tell me your dream. I'll see if I can give you a, an interpretation. A little bitty act of kindness led Yosef to becoming the viceroy of Egypt. What does this teach us? It teaches us that if we don't let people steal our identity... And if we don't curl up in a, in, a, in a corner, become self-centered, and if we focus on serving other people, that our little acts of kindness that we do that we think are not all that significant can lead us to become the viceroy of Egypt. And the enemy knows that, which is why he wants to depress, distract, and discourage. Give you the three Ds. And the fourth D is despondent. So it says we see here once again the unimaginable far-reaching results that can come from one small deed. Science, it says, has recognized that a minor occurrence in one corner of the world can have an enormous effect upon the entire world. The same is true of our spiritual activities and good deeds. One small deed, it says here, can change the world. One small deed can change the world. It's very powerful. And the enemy is so cunning, he knows this. We've got to learn some lessons. All week long, we've been learning wonderful lessons about um, Yosef and how he is the, the archetype of the Messiah bin Yosef, who is the suffering Messiah. And, and we've been illustrating, frankly, a, a, a case that can't be defeated in court, so to speak. 
that Yeshua is absolutely the Messiah. I mean, I don't know how you listen to the, the all week long's Aliyot. I don't know how you listen to them and walk away and say, yep, Yeshua is not the Mashiach. You have to be intentionally blind. And I, I just, I mean, I don't know what else to say. But we also need to learn life lessons of how to survive in Egypt because Yosef, even though spiritually he's the archetype of the Messiah bin Yosef, at the end of the day, the historical Yosef was a human being like me and you. Like you and I. You and me. I'm going to use proper English so I don't get accused of being a false citizen of the United States. Um, so, we have to understand that we need to learn how to behave to in order to survive in Egypt. Because Egypt is a harsh place. And the forces of darkness, this is going to come as a surprise to so many of you, I know. This is going to be a shock. Just wait for it. The forces of darkness do not like what Lapid Judaism is trying to do and what it represents. Many of you are just dropped your coffee, cup of coffee and said, what? Yeah, it's true. It's true. Hasatan, cursed be he, does not like Lapid Judaism. Newsflash, read all about it. And you know what makes him so, you know what makes the enemy depressed, despondent, discouraged? You know what makes him all of those, those, uh, those D's? Is when we refuse to quit. So, anyway, on to another um, insight here. It says, and on the vine there were three branches. This is the uh, cupbearer who was relating his dream to Yosef. Uh, and he says, on the vine there were three branches. Now, this is a very interesting insight. It's going to give us a... Another insight, if you will, into the words of Yeshua who said, I am the vine and you are the branches. So this is what it says here. This is the Kehot Humash insight coming from the Talmud Chulin. Chulin. 92a. It says, the sages offer several interpretations on the symbolism of the vine and its branches. According to one of these, the vine symbolizes the Jewish people, sometimes the world, and the three branches symbolize the three patriarchs. That's what it says here in the insights, meaning that the three part patriarchs support the Jewish people or the world. Now, what is that's an, an interesting insight unto itself. But the, what's really interesting, if you read Chulin 92a, one of the other interpretations given is that the vine equals the Torah, and the three branches are Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, who were the teachers of the Torah to the Jewish people. So to me, this is fascinating because Yeshua said, I am the vine and you are the branches. 
He's, what he's saying there is, I am the Torah and you are the Moses, the Aaron and the Miriams who are supposed to go out and teach people about the word of God and the covenant of God that the Mashiach brings them into. Now, the context of what he says fits what it says in Huli 92a. Why? Because it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him. Now remember, the Mashiach is the Torah made manifest. And the Torah is God. And it says, if I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from the Torah, we can do nothing. Apart from the word of God, we're powerless. We have no truth. It says, if anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. If we lose the Mashiach, my friends, that's why people wither. I've seen it happen. People come into this and they abandon the Messiah. And, and, and they think they're going to go be like a, like a cedar tree. And they wither. By the way, you realize that's a promise of the Mashiach? The Mashiach is promising us, promising us that if we abandon him, we will wither. Did you just hear what he said? If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. I digress. It says, such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words, now listen to the context. We just see this said, I am the vine, you are the branches. I just got through reading that in Hulin 92a, it says that the, 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 the vine is the Torah and the branches are the teachers of the Torah, Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. And the Mashiach is saying here, if you remain in me, the vine... And my words, the Torah, remain in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory, that you may bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. How do we show ourselves to be the disciples of the Messiah? By remaining in his holy Torah. End of our Aliyah today. As we often say, we are out of time but not out of content. But don't despair because this year we are during the Shabbat drashas. We are taking the book of Genesis chapter by chapter. So we will be visiting this whole story yet again. And with God's help, we'll share some insights that we did not have a chance to get to. Until then, I want you to be blessed, be encouraged. Don't let the enemy steal your identity. Don't let him discourage you. And most of all, don't allow him to make you quit. And focus on serving others instead of focusing on your problems. If you do that, I promise you that you will have success in all that you do. Shabbat Shalom. We'll see everybody tomorrow. Be sure and join us on the live stream for our synagogue service. God bless you.